0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Evening, and
1: happy Easter.
0: Oh, that's right. It is Easter, isn't it? Yes. I I bought my daughter a two-foot chocolate bunny with really scary eyes. It was great. (laughs) The shop shop clerk said, oh, Christ, I'm going to have nightmares.
2: (laughs) Donnie Chocolate Darko.
0: Yeah, it had that vibe about it. It was like those 50s, you know, those 50s toys that like are meant to be toys, but they actually look like they're going to come back and kill you when you're asleep. Mm. Has that vibe as well. So I thought that would be a nice thing to give my daughter for Easter. I'm sure she appreciated it. (laughs) Ah, yes. Last week, I said it was eight games left to keep our grip on fourth place. It was actually seven at that point. So my math was wrong. And yesterday at the Lane, we provided the Saturday Easter weekend lunchtime uh, entertainment with that seventh game against Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Well, entertainment was the plan, but there was little of that on hand for us. And instead, it's beginning to look very much like 2019 to me personally, as we ended up losing 1-0 to a 90th minute sucker punch. We'll be shooting down rabbit holes, looking for the Easter egg clues in this game Uh, with regards to weather. That top four grip remains ours or not. And seeing as we're at that point in the season, it seems churlish not to quickly mention what Woolish did yesterday as well. Which was th- <laughs> which was fliff <laughs> which was fluff their lines <laughs> just like I have, which was fluff their lines too, with a one nil defeat at South at Southampton. How very arsy of them. Mm. Anyway, we will then settle in for a good old pipe and slippers pontificationary chin wag. As to who in the current Spurs squad will make a great manager, and of course why? Is it the loud-voiced chest-thumpers, or is it the cool, calm and steely boys? You'll find out our thoughts a little later on in the pod. But first of all, as usual, we start with Milo's intro question. And this week, he wants to know, when was the last time that you got lost, Gareth? Um, well, I struggled with this one because for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I've,
1: I think I've got quite a good sense of direction. Secondly, I'm not very brave. I don't really go places that I don't know. And secondly, since I've been with my wife um, for, sort of for, for, you know, for 10 years, if I am lost, I don't tell her. So I've actually got confused whether I was genuinely lost or, or just blagging it. So I'm going to make this Spurs related. I'm going to go back about 20 years. I'd gone to an away game at Leeds um, and I'd gone with my mate who was... A Spurs fan who was studying at York at the time so after the game we went back to Leeds station and then we were going to get the train to to York where he was on campus and um, it was dark, it was February he didn't know the route that well because it was only his first year there and he proceeded to get locked himself get himself locked in the toilet on the Northern Rail train so in thinking that we were on the right train it wasn't until the ticket inspector came through and told us that no we weren't headed for York we were heading somewhere else and we had to get off at the next stop because we didn't have a valid ticket and we were stuck at um, a little town called probably a little village called Fitzwilliam which is somewhere in South Yorkshire which at half past seven on a Saturday evening which was freezing cold black um, it felt like we could have been somewhere in the middle of the earth at the time uh, I think we were there for about an hour before the next train came past and took us back to Leeds to then wait and get back to York for about <coughs> half past one in the morning. How long was he locked in the toilet for? Um, well crucially long, long enough but it was a good 15 minutes I mean he said mm. he was locked in there I mean knowing him he's, he's fairly a reputable character so he may well have been are you, suggesting,
0: are you suggesting you might well have been testing the smooth, reflective surfaces in the uh, bathroom?
1: Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There may Funny. have been any number of things going on in that toilet. But, yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, as, as things were or weren't going on there, we were <laughs> heading in completely the opposite direction to where we were meant to be going and ended up being lost in Yorkshire. What year was this? This was, two, this was 2000. Spurs had just lost 1-0 at Leeds.
0: So if anyone was on the uh, train coming out of Leeds to Fitzwilliam South Yorkshire in 2000 and used the bogs and found a little extra residue and thought, "Whoa, it's my lucky Saturday night, now you know why. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Milo, it's time for you to uh, tell us when you were last lost. I like getting lost. Of course you do.
2: (laughs) When I move to a new city, my favourite thing is to go out walking and when I know where I am, walk in the opposite direction and see where I end up. So I, I'll purposely go out and try and get myself lost to see what I find and just discover places. Yeah, yeah so I like getting lost. I think the last time I was lost, so as I said, a couple of weeks ago, I was over at my mother-in-law's in the Czech Republic, and one she lives say so South Bohemia, you know, kind of know, about 100 miles outside Prague, and there's some beautiful woodland there. And one of my favourite things to do there is to go out and get myself lost in the woods. So I'll I'll go out arrange to meet them for lunch, go for a go for a long walk discover you know discover some new places and then kind of find the river and follow the river back to the town and um yeah so i think probably the last time i was lost i was lost deep in some woodland in in south bohemia thoroughly enjoying myself uh, in the knowledge that sooner or later i'd stumble across something that i recognized and i'd be able to find my way back
0: okay so i have a couple of questions cuz i actually think that's very cool night i no no i think it's a great i think it's a great thing and i i mean i love discovering new cities and new places and new towns as well uh, albeit with a slightly different um take on it but do you have a compass with you oh, and no. secondly do you have any sort of um you know uh sustenance in case you get stuck a little longer is there a hidden protein bar or chocolate bar in a bottle your of water maybe a small bottle of water yeah yeah, yeah I have a sorts. bottle of water what's the what's the closest you've got to actually being oh fuck there is no river and i don't know where the fuck i am oh that's never happened no I, <laughs> uh,
2: no I've, I've never i ne- never managed to do that but you know there's there's, there's something to aim for there isn't there but yeah, most most of my kind of, it's been more urban than yeah. countryside, but yeah, no, I like getting stuck in, getting lost in the woods. There's a wonderful thing, say Bill Drummond's book, 45, there's a, a wonderful uh, chapter in that where he talks about, uh, he likes writing his name on maps and then walking the route of it and kind of thinks of it as a, kind, of, um, a kind of graffitiing, kind of the face of the earth.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know who Bill Drummond is, Bill Drummond was a a part of the collective, the KLF, which you would be well advised to check out. I'm sure that Milo would agree with him on that. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, Really, really great, really creative stuff. And if I can put uh, my hand in the air and say that I think Chill Out is probably the number one meditational ambient journey ever put to record. Um, you should try and find it and you should take it. Lights out, headphones on, if preferable, starry sky at night, I think would be the uh, the setting. But actually that record works if you're in a Bed City Wandsworth. So whatever, uh, get lost in that. And that actually is something to get lost in, isn't it? I mean, if we're talking about getting lost, if you really tune into that record, you get lost in it, right? I
2: think it was the first well, um, yeah, house album, wasn't it? I think because they were working with, um, Jimmy Courtney was working with um, uh, The Orb, wasn't was, 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 he? Yeah. Was a member of The Orb. Before, uh, at that's the same right. time as being in the KLF and the Jams yep. and Time Lords and you know, whatever yep. other, other guises they were under at the time. They, there's yep. a new documentary out about the KLF that's... I know, quite excited now, is, actually. Yeah, it's meant to be very good. They
0: they apparently, I mean, they didn't partake in it but apparently they're quite, you know, they're quite okay with it.
2: Uh, yeah, there was, some, there was an article in the Guardian last week about we've it. We've been
0: reading the same stuff about yeah. it, I can see. Yeah, yeah. But so, seriously though, I mean, it is, it, it might seem that we've gone off on a jag, but in terms of getting lost, that is, if you close your eyes and let it take you somewhere, you end up in a different place and every listen actually I think there's always something new some new tangent to go off with uh, when you listen to that record um it's interesting I, I I thought about this and like yourself when I travel I love to go out and wander around um, albeit I, I sort of make these very anal uh, markings in my head of okay there's that tower so I'll always know this I make these little signposts as I walk but the two times I've been the most lost recently one of them's quite serious actually I mean uh, to not uh, close friends and, and know this that, that my mother passed away uh, a month ago and uh, that's a journey in and of itself for any of us who have been through it and I found myself sitting at Paddington Station which was uh, a central point into London from where she lived uh, on my last trip back um, she had passed I was back for the service and I wasn't lost in the sense of direction. It was lost in the sense of what do I have here anymore in this country? Like why well, it was completely, it was a very weightless, rootless um, and, and, and very strange feeling of loneliness for that, for that moment. It passed, but, uh, that's one definition of loss i could offer you and it's probably the most graphic in a tangible physical sense i mean it came back very quickly you know great in-laws and, and and great friends um but the other the other time i've felt the most lost recently and i, I say it's completely honestly it was in in the midst of all this stuff going on with my mom i happen to tune into the internet as one does and see this that the, the, there's been something at the oscars where uh, chris rock had been hit by uh By what's his name um i've even forgotten his name will smith (laughs) will smith had hit chris rock and suddenly this was fucking everywhere it was it was the slap that was heard around the world and i i was genuinely lost as to how something as ridiculous and 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 you know uh, insignificant could could Echo so much in our in our world, and it just it made me step back and think, you know we are drifting as a society if this is going to dominate my fucking social media, my news pages when there's people dying by the by the hundreds and thousands in ukraine in a in a war. And yet, this is everywhere. And I, I've, I actually found it so disheartening and so sort of weird that I, I usually I'm, you know, like everyone else in the modern Western world, I chip in with my little thoughts and such. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, what do I have to say about this? It's stupid. And and I was lost. i was completely lost by this. It's like, what the fuck? So that would be my other contribution. I hope that's not too, too
2: esoteric. But <laughs> I've got I've got a I've been waiting the last couple of weeks for you to say, take Matthew Doherty's name out of your fucking mouth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and sadly that did happen thanks to matthew cash he's managed to achieve that for the rest of the season but anyway that's an interesting question i like it because of course it takes on many guises as i occasionally say but i think this seems like a good point if any of our listeners have a particular moment of resonance with being lost you know share it with us on social media on our uh, instagram or our twitter or our um any other channels that we run That'd be great but that being said Let's get back to somewhere that we know where we are. And we know that we are now at the stage of the pod, which is the week that was. And uh, we'll start by saying that Rhianne Skinner, Spurs women's head coach, has signed a new contract with the club that runs until 2024. And Rhianne has done an excellent job with the women's team since joining the club in 2020. And in other good news for the women's team, Ashley Neville has signed a new contract with the club that will run until 2025. So congratulations to both. And uh, we are indeed a lucky club. COVID fingered its way into our camp again. No sniggering in the back. Uh, We learnt on Wednesday that the gaffer had been ill with COVID for most of the week. Antonio tested positive after the Aston Villa game and revealed in his pre-match press conference for the Brighton game that he had been to the training ground whilst ill, but had been keeping his distance from the players and the staff. He finally tested negative on Friday, and I had images of him standing about two hundred feet away with a megaphone. Uh, that has yet to be uh, yet to be uh, confirmed. I, I I must admit, distance training with a guy like Conte, I can't imagine it, and I'm hoping that one day if the the club really want to get into it with Conte, Cam. Maybe they can show us some highlights from that week as to how that worked.
2: I, I, say, I, I bet there's a um, few wingbacks at, at the club who wish that he was, uh, had to socially distance on the sideline. He's <laughs> bellowing at them through a game.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also in the middle of the week, Deli Alley celebrated his 26th birthday with Sonny, Eric Dyer Galini and Ryan Sessegnon. Uh, he shared some photos of their meal on his Instagram account and rumours that he was then smuggled back into Hotspur Way and is living undetected at the lodge are unconfirmed at this time of recording. But seriously, look, for a moment... 26 years old and you know first of all we wish delhi a happy belated birthday and the other thing is it really is time for delhi to rediscover his true football self and soul over the summer whether that be in the uk or abroad he might not be at spurs anymore but i think we'd all agree right chaps he will always be spurs and for that reason alone we we just want to see him hit the heights again right We'd love to see it. So. Yeah, absolutely, I thought
2: it was really nice to see the bond with his, uh, you know, with his teammates, you know, friends at the club. Yes, you know, he's had a rough couple of years, but you know, still clearly close to a lot of the players at our club. I really like seeing it, and um, I agree. Yeah, it was good.
0: It was funny because the first photo that came out from that birthday dinner didn't have Eric Dyer with him, right? I think it was him and and Ryan Session. And you're like, where's Eric? I I hope Eric was there, like their friend. And then there was that other picture of them actually at dinner and you
2: saw Eric to the right-hand side. I think that Dyer had been raiding Larissa's wardrobe because there was a kind of dark suit and black polo neck. And, (laughs) yeah, I don't know whether they nipped round to Ronnie Scott's afterwards or something, but... um, there, there was certainly that would be you know Ronnie Scott's. That.
0: that would set. I think that would be an Eric Dyer type venue for a post dinner um bit of bit of entertainment. Ronnie Scott's. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm buying it. I'm in. Were you there? <laughs> Not this week. it's a few years since I've been to Ronnie might, Scott's, oh,
2: well, I used to go to a, right. I used to go to a salsa club at uh, Ronnie Scott's after they kicked out the main the, the jazz thing, do, like an all nighter salsa night. It was really good.
0: I, you know, Gareth, I don't know about you, but every week, and how long have we been doing this now? Going on a year and a half. There is evidence of a whole other Milo that we must continue to chip away at and uncover <laughs> because it is just, is it's, it's a raging story of a London life gone wild, isn't it? That I, we just getting...
1: uncover, yeah, uncovering
0: Milo is definitely what we're going to be touching on over the summer, isn't it? Oh, I think and it is. It might to have to be about. a... It might have to be a... Po- we're going to have to do it around Spurs. We're going to be, we're have to be cunning and subtle here, Gareth, but I'm be- sure between us we can get the job done.
2: <laughs> I have an idea, actually, that might help with this, but I'll talk about it off mic because I don't want to reveal it yet.
0: Very good. I like that.
2: Uh, I've got an idea for an episode that's a bit like our Just a Minute one, conceptually, an Very odd good. one, but it might work in the summer.
0: An odd one indeed, which actually is the perfect segue into yesterday's 12.30pm kickoff uh, against Brighton at home. Uh, you know, an odd one. Blue skies, nice little bit of heat in the in the air, as I understand. I wasn't there yesterday. I know both Lovely. of you were. It seemed like, you know, it was going to be the perfect day. The shadow from the main stand, beautifully cast on the pitch, leaving that artistic sort of frise on the field, if you will. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then... What I wonder. Well, what we should start with is first of all, uh, give us just your match, match day experience, uh, Milo, because I know it's the first time you've been up for a while. So, so tell us how it, how it went yesterday for you.
2: Well, I mean, you say about the the weather and everything. I thought the, the stadium and everything before the game was really buzzing. I thought everyone was in you know high spirits. There was you know lots of people there early. So, you know, from that point of view, it felt really good. I think everyone was really confident going into the game. It was nice, and and then the football went and ruined it.
0: Yeah. Would you say the same, Gareth? You were expressing similar.
1: Yeah, no, no, very much so. There's a level of expectation around the ground beforehand. And this is where I'm going to sound like a fairly smug and miserable bastard by reminding you all that I've, I've been a little bit sceptical um, for a while about our chances. And I I, th- I think we perhaps a lot of people have, have lulled themselves. And let me put myself in this category as well, that we'd found ourselves back into those peak potch, times when we knew we were just going to turn up to a game, we were going to roll over the opponent and we were going to win fairly comfortably. Because you know what, over the last couple of weeks, that's, that's what we've done. I think the reality is, and I think yesterday's game proved that we're probably a little bit more like Poch in that first season where mm. we were capable of some very good things and got some Definitely. very good results. But equally, there were some, some really stinky moments in that season. So that that 14 15 year, we'll remember it for beating Chelsea 5-3 on New Year's Day and for and for beating Arsenal at home and, and some really good performances. But there were also 1-0 defeats at home to West Brom and at home to Villa that year. And I, I just felt that's probably indicative of, of where we are at the moment which is how the game played out
2: i think that's right and i think you know if you think back to the episode we did at the close of the january transfer window and we're talking about our kind of chances there and we're saying actually you know he's, he's probably got a group of players that he's happier with and you know he's got rid of the ones who maybe weren't buying into his methods and, and what have you but you can't fix everything in one window and a lot of it was kind of you know kind of mend and make do until the end of the season till the summer and when we can really start building a, a you know a conte team and i think that's very much the case you know if you look at you know a, a you know, couple of the starters yesterday aren't particularly well suited to what he wants you know if you look at the bench you've got a couple of players on the bench that you know aren't going to come on under any circumstances or if they do it's you know if we're comfortably winning they might get a minute at the end of the game kind of thing so there's very limited options there and you know if you look at the bench as a whole there's no one on that bench you would say was better than the starters so it's you know he's got limited options and we got we got to bear that in mind.
0: I agree. I mean, do you think that? I mean, there is something to be said for. Uh, I'll speak for myself here. I think that with the Villa game last week, you know, I probably um, sort of passed off the, the the you know the threat of the first half, so to speak, and the way that. You know, we were struggling to play out from the back because the opposition had closed down our passing lanes and were making it very difficult and I think it was easy to overlook that because we scored so early in the second half and had scored so early in the first and then, you know, Villa being a forty five minute team, they just couldn't keep it up. But of course Brighton are far better organized as we know and have you know, and Potter, we've we've eulogised Potter on this pod many times before and it was a little bit of a masterclass from him yesterday, it has to be said. You know, are we going to see more of this? And based on what you saw yesterday, you know, Let me ask, do you think there is another team we're going to face in our final games that can do this as well as Potter? Uh, And if so, what do you see as our potential solutions?
1: I think it's interesting. I think looking at our remaining fixtures, the team that I would be most concerned that might be able to replicate that are Arsenal. Because I think it almost suits them. They've got this non-goal scoring centre forward. So I think the natural thing for Tester to do if he was watching that game yesterday was think, well, we'll drop Lacazette and I'll put another midfielder in there and I'll do what Brighton did and play play a diamond in midfield in front of five at the back and I'll make sure that they block out all the passing lanes in there and will frustrate Spurs. I suppose the thing that might stop Arsenal doing that is if they go into that game needing to win the game, That they they might have to be a little bit more proactive depending on the circumstances around there. I can see potentially that Burnley will probably try that I don't know who will be their manager at that point or how much time they'll have to prepare because this isn't something this wasn't something that Graham Potter decided to do on Thursday morning this was a plan that's been in place and talking to my colleague at the game on Saturday who had watched Brighton at Arsenal the week before said they did exactly the same and for me Brighton were a little bit it was a little bit boutique Roy Hodgson football there was a lot of time wasting mm. in there as well mm. the, the, the amount of times that players went down and so my colleague who was sitting next to me who, I know you know Steph as well, said to me before the game, he said, this is what they did at Arsenal last week. This is exactly what they'll do. They'll waste time from the very, very first minute. Yeah. And it was a little bit more subliminal, perhaps, than uh, those more traditional shithouses. But essentially, they came in their shithouse spurs.
2: I agree with that. Wepu went down after Davis brushed his face on 90 seconds and was rolling around as if he'd been smacked. And let's be clear, you know, what, what they're trying to do here is disrupt our rhythm. Yes, it's a tactic. It's intentional. It's not—they're not trying to wind down the clock and play for a draw. They're trying to disrupt our rhythm, which is very similar to what Villa were trying to do last week by going into us heavy. It was breaking up the rhythm of play, not allowing us to establish a—you know—a style of play, dictate the game, just break it up, make it difficult for us. And. And as frustrating as it was, and yeah, you know, within the stadium there was lots of booing, you know, the ref got booed at half time, there was lots of grumbling from very early on and it grew out through the game. But in a way, you know, if you think about the kind of kind of financial disparity within the league, the smaller clubs you need to you know, win games. They need to get points on the board. They can't go out and sign the star players. They can't probably hold on to many star players. Can you blame them for doing this kind of stuff and trying trying to take advantages where they can get it? And ultimately, it's down to the ref to ref the game. And again, I think probably second week week on the trot where the ref probably you know, didn't get a grip of it.
0: Mm. I mean, I agree with you. It is down to the referees to control the game. And I think it's interesting is it's also down to referees to spot that this is a tactic mm. to de- to delay rhythm and to actually say, you know, this is not, the way you're going to be running my football game and I'm not going to let this happen. And so they have to recognize it, not necessarily as you say, as whether it's a foul or not, but as a, as a tactic that is, you know, very tight to what we would say, you know the the spirit of the game. Um, you know wh- whether whether it's it's okay for Brian to do that or not. I mean, I I I see your point, but I, I personally don't think anybody should play like that. But I'm a purist and possibly not a realist. Well, I'm not a realist in that sense, so I agree with you. They have limited budget. They're going.
2: If we were one nil up against Arsenal and started playing down the clock, you'd be saying that was being professional. Well, the problem is, I just
0: yeah, no, I agree in in theory, but of course, you know that you know that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club are in, uh, virtually incapable mm. of playing down the clock with that sort of rhythmic, you know, discordance, if you will. I know, I know what you're saying. It was it was sort of a bit like what Juventus. I mean, I don't want to compare Brighton to Juventus, but it's a bit of a sort of Brighton Juventus at Wembley in the Champions League. Just any little niggle or knock or like any advantage you can get. But I agree with you. Coming yeah. back to your point, the referees have to take control, and it is the second week in a row we've seen a referee fail. Able to spot this as a tactic. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And the referee, uh, you know, probably gave us a bit of a break. But let me, let me let you answer that second question first, if I may. Um, The second question I asked 10 minutes ago, which I've interrupted myself with. But it is, you know, Gareth said he feels that we might see this against Arsenal. I'm wondering, Milo, if you think we're going to see this again in the
2: rest, uh, for the rest of the season. If so, how would you get around it? I think next weekend, there's a chance of, of it happening. Brentford are a well-coached side. They're well-drilled. and. You know, what what you're effectively looking at here is pl- players who can maintain a shape uh, you know, for for 90 minutes, and I think they can, you know I think they, they're more than capable of doing that. Uh, yeah the problem it, it creates for us is that we can't play out from the back, we can't play into Benton and Kerr um, and a lot of our attacking you know re- goes through him, relies on that. Uh, the answer to that is making better use of the flanks and both uh Royale and Region were poor at progressing the ball yesterday and their passing wasn't great either I mean I, I I was surprised that Sessignon didn't come on I don't know whether he's still not fully match fit or whether his confidence has, has been knocked a bit because of the injury but yeah, I would have expected that sorry Gareth do you want to come in there mate
1: yeah I was just going to supplement what you were saying there about passing from defence I've, I've had a look on the um on the Spurs website they've got a very good match centre and there's some good graphics on there about passes, so I've just been looking and this is this is very much last, but this is doing your homework on the bus equivalent um but I was looking up just as we were talking beforehand. Where Romero passes the ball. So I've looked at the last four games. So against Newcastle and against um, West Ham when we played well and we won. Um, this, uh, this is Romero was able to pass the ball to Bentancur 15 times against West Ham and 10 times against Newcastle. Against Villa, he was able to make that pass on one occasion. And yesterday, he was only able to make that pass on seven occasions. Equally, Romero passing to Kulusevski eight times against West Ham, 10 times against Newcastle. Against Villa, he only made that pass three times. And yesterday, he was only able to make that pass on one occasion. So that tells me that teams here are blocking those channels and those lanes that Romero's going to pass to. And my suspicion is, if I looked at those on the left-hand side and I did the same looking at Davis's passing lanes, we would find that those passes into probably Sun and Hoiberg have been cut out as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, Davis had quite a quiet game by his standards yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, I I mean, I think the answer is is that we need to find more from the flanks. Um, The the other thing that I was surprised about is that we didn't try one of our wide forwards in place of Royale. Uh, It would have been a risk defensively, but if if we were looking for the win, the problem we had was getting the ball up the pitch yesterday. And you know our options for doing that. You could do what we did against Villa, which was was play long. So you know Luis and uh, and Romero predominantly. Although when we tried that, you know Son at the back post and uh, and, and uh, Ventman had had him.
0: It's very interesting you bring up not trying that switch yesterday if we're looking to win the game. Because actually one of the things, and of course we love Antonio on this show, but I do think it's impossible to ignore the impact of his his week. Uh, on the on the, the game yesterday and also even in his post-match he curiously said there are some times in life or something to, to that degree I'm probably got that wrong but essentially paraphrasing he said there are moments in life where you have to just accept that it's not your day and take the point what you can't afford to do is lose the game yeah his substitutions was sort of curiously stuck between a stick or twist where he bringing on players and it looks like he wants to try and win the game but he's not quite he's still going like for like as opposed to maybe overloading on the forwards and switching up a little bit so he got maybe he got caught in that uh what should i do here somewhere
2: LaRice and I think Dave uh, and Dyer I think both said the same thing post match so it's obviously something he's been talking to the players about i think he said if you can't win you've you've got to make sure you don't lose is what they were all saying. That's the mantra, mm.
1: which is exactly what we said when we met up after the game, wouldn't it? We we said it was one of those where you felt probably the seventy minutes gone, we weren't going to score. Let's just make sure we don't lose. Now yeah. that sounds clever in hindsight because we know the results that took place elsewhere. And actually, you know, a you know a point would have been a really good point in in context of what's happened mm. wider in the weekend. But I, again, I, I don't know how you I don't know how you do that. I mean, it's difficult when you're at home. There's the expectation in the crowd as well. Perhaps if it had been a away game. We, we might have done that it, it might have been easier just to just to shut up shop for the last 15 minutes and I'll I mean, again, I'd say, although whilst I always felt Brighton were more likely to score than us, I don't think it was ever inevitable that they were going to score. Sometimes it just feels like when Southampton scored three passes, you felt it was inevitable eventually they were going to score. Perhaps it was inevitable you felt that Villa were going to score against us last week. But at no point yesterday did I think, do you know what, we're, diff- we're going to lose this because Brighton are going to create, keep creating and eventually they'll score. And the fact that
0: they scored through a mistake probably, probably is testament to that. And even after that, we created a chance at the last minute of, of, of the game, where you had Bergwijn's found the position that he has been finding a lot when he comes on as sub, you'd expect him to put it on target. So
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought our defensive shape was pretty good throughout the game, yeah. and Brighton weren't creating much that I wouldn't expect um, Larissa to deal with. And two mistakes. Well, I mean, Romero made two mistakes effectively, didn't he, in the build-up the goal, and and, and then Dyer kind of bought a dummy from Trossard and and couldn't couldn't recover in time. So. Yeah kind of three three mistakes leading up to it but other than that I th- I thought they were pretty good most of the game.
0: Are we going to agree uh that you know, we just touched on it there a moment ago, that the fact that Conti couldn't take training uh, in his normal fashion um, and was, you know, socially distanced and, you know, probably feeling a little bit off and so on and so forth. Do, do we agree that that really was probably the major impact on the game from our perspective? Because we did look off all day. I mean, from the first five minutes, I thought we just looked, just looked a little off. Our touch was off. Our, our engine was off. Everything was just off. And even he was a little off on the sidelines. He wasn't quite he's used Usual yeah. over animated self. He was mildly animated. And even post match, he was a little after so do we think that he was the factor
1: but I mean we, I suppose we don't know what it actually looked like on the training ground there were reports that he was able to do things from a, from a distance the sense check I got from watching the game was it reminded me of one of those post Europa games where the team gets together on a Friday they've got a day to prepare and they play against the team who have probably had seven days and worked on every eventuality that may or may not happen and that's very much how the game panned out
0: he tested negative on Friday so actually you've just You've just completely reinforced that as a very, very strong potential factor.
1: That's just a sense check and it's, it's easy to apply that post-game or not perhaps it was just a bad day at the office it was perhaps a bit of a yeah. perfect storm of um you know an early kickoff which definitely i feel acts as a as a bit of a leveler the fact that conte wasn't on the training ground as much as he should have been perhaps there was a little bit of complacency perhaps they mm. in both in the stands
2: and and on the pitch as well conte having covid doesn't mean that deckie and kane are going to have a bad game an off game and yeah, both of them were way off the pace and that's you know, that's where our creativity is coming from. And you, you've got that coupled with cutting off the, uh, our, our roots for getting the ball to Benton Kerr. and, there isn't a lot there after that there isn't really you know anyone else who's going to create much so it may well have had an impact it's difficult for us to say because we don't know who does what on the training ground we don't know quite how they accommodated it you know there's a lot of talk about kind of the video analysis that Conte is very keen on but I know that his brother is in the coaching setup and does the video analysis and I don't know whether it's him who leads those sessions or whether it's Conte or a bit or both and you know how it would work over zoom and you know whatever else so it's really difficult to say. I I think basically our key players didn't turn up and and outside of those, you know, until we've got... Uh, a couple of wingbacks that really suit Conte's system we're a bit flat and if if those players aren't on, on top
0: form yeah we've we've discussed the importance of those key players showing up in this run and that's most certainly true they didn't yesterday uh you know I will say that some have been suggesting uh post-game that um you know Delhi's birthday bash and also uh Harry Kane's Augusta trip might have contributed to both the lethargy in the game and in Kane's specific case his lethargy um uh, well but before I before I say what I think uh chaps reflect on that if you would I think
1: okay, I think it's very easy to be wise after the event and uh, uh, apply a, a consequence to a to a cause but Kane played as he'd done in the last four games yesterday and he scores a couple of goals you say well what brilliant management to allow him to have two days to completely switch off and rest but Kane wasn't the only player who was lethargic and, and very poor Yesterday, I think the whole team for me was, was as a collective, they were all, and individually, they were all a five out of ten yesterday. And not all of them flew out to Augusta and not all of them went out and celebrated Deli birthday birthday in the midweek. I think it's just a, you, you look at the collective and it was everyone yesterday. I don't think there's, there's any one reason why any one player was affected more than other, any other.
2: Kane was in Augusta for, what, 48 hours he's back in training on tuesday so he's had you know the rest of the week there was a really interesting article by uh dan kilpatrick in the standard um earlier on this week about kind of the carrot and stick approach that conte has taken since we've exited the uh the cup competition so when we've had three weeks he's been giving the players a bit more time off uh, after the game at the weekend and then you know just to, to relax and, and and be able to to unwind before they before they start preparations and, and saying that that's been a big factor in our good form recently. If that's the case, I don't really think you can then start saying, well, you know, we've had a bad performance, so what, you know, what's been working suddenly isn't working that is definitely is all wrong. And again, you know, we we've seen our Argentinian, you know, South American players flying back for, uh, you know after midweek internationals to play at the weekend and been putting in good performances. That's a far bigger uh, trek than than Kane put in uh, with less time to recover afterwards. I just think people want to look for an excuse. It's kind of that m- magic bullet whereas really it was a, an off day early kickoffs are always shit you know we were talking about this after the game again gareth weren't we saying that you know those 12 30 kickoff games they're always bad they're, they're always poor performances
0: I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to to blame um old friends getting together for someone's birthday uh, especially given that the photos that i saw showed mineral water and a coca-cola um and the fact that eric dyer has never uh, registered anywhere as being a uh, a party animal. It's just absurd. And and actually I find it appalling that once again, some of our so-called supporters are like looking to drag Delhi into some sort of weird, you know, uh, third-state argument in this and have factor. It's 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 moronic and pathetic. And to think that people can't go out and celebrate a birthday responsibly—it's ridiculous. I mean, there are pictures of of, of having dinner with his family and a couple of friends as well. And nobody said a word about it. It's ridiculous. And as for Harry Kane jet lag side, so let let me speak from a point of experience here for people who are listening and tell you that. You know, I'm presuming that the specs would have been done on his trip. He probably was travelling on a private aeroplane that would have been a Gulfstream 5 or greater. He would have had um, excellent sleeping facilities on that. I doubt his plane was full. It would have been a, a few of his mates at most. You wouldn't have time with an eight-and-a-half-hour trip to get jet lag in 48 hours. You'd have been there and back before that would have ever had an effect, and you would have had ample time to sleep, especially if the specs were done right and he was flying back, um, you know, to, to catch the, the evening end of, of British time. So it's just ridiculous. I, I just can't believe that people come up with these excuses. I mean, Harry Kane is one of the most dedicated professionals we've we've ever seen. We've talked about how hard he's worked to be at the level he's at. I mean, if anyone thinks he's going to th- you know folly off to Augusta and put our season at risk just not true I don't I don't buy it and you're right uh, guys it's ridiculous Um, so I I hope people can just banish that and as you say I think we have to accept that sometimes this is going to happen we are not the finished article Uh, indeed far from it and I think that the problems we had yesterday were far more to do with Brighton being extremely well set up against us and our players having an off day let's get back to for a moment if we can to the uh some of the contentious decisions there weren't many but as you said they were often um was Decky lucky to avoid a red card and was um Mwepu lucky to avoid a second yellow chaps
1: um, yes is the is the simple answer in both cases um Decky definitely swung an elbow at him it wasn't it wasn't an in-play action. It wasn't trying to brush somebody off. It was a retaliation. It was a sign of frustration. Um, we got lucky that Craig Paulson issued him with a, with a yellow card. And equally, Mwepu, I suppose the argument would be, um, has there already been a red card? in the game at that point. He may have toned down his actions, but he was very lucky. Um, Craig Paulson chose not to speak to him when he had the high foot on Davis and then sort of backed himself into a bit of a corner, really, as the referee, because... Then when he committed the next foul, he had to go in and, and talk to him. It's that staged um, way that referees are encouraged to talk to players and to discipline them. You don't go straight in with the card unless it's, unless it's a really serious one. If it's those minor ones, which that one probably was, um, it needs to be that stepped approach. If he had spoken to him about the high foot, which was definitely dangerous, even if it was accidental, he would have then have had to have shown him the yellow card for that one. So I think the problem was that he didn't want to act on the on the first foul.
2: Yeah, agree with that. I thought Ducky was very lucky.
0: And he'll learn from it, right? I mean, he'll learn from someone sort of like, you know, jostling him, giving him a hard time, being very, very tight to him. He'll learn from it.
2: Yeah, it felt like frustration. We've got to bear in mind, you know, he's 21 years old. He's he's a really, he's a young player. Just because he's, Hit the ground running and been great. You kind of forget all, and you know because of how he looks as well. I suppose you kind of forget all of that.
0: Mm, I agree.
2: He's younger than Jaffet. Mm. Players, you know, we think of as youth players still, who are quite a bit older than him.
0: No, I
1: well, again, I'm, I'm speculating here, but we've all spoken, and lots of other podcasts have, following the Villa game have spoken about how we were kicked off the pitch by, or how we, Villa attempted to kick us off the pitch, and uh, he was one of those players who hit, who was hit by a very, very. Hard tackled mm. by Mings, who was very lucky. So you just wonder whether that was in his mind a little bit. Maybe he's thinking, look, here I am. People know I'm a skillful player now. They're going to try and frustrate me. And I don't think Kugarella did too much wrong in the build up to that. But in, in Kulisewski's mind, he probably did. And there, perhaps in that split second, he's thinking, "No, oh, this is another player who's who's trying to frustrate me and you know, I, I wonder whether because it was only a yellow card whether he will learn that lesson or not yeah. or whether people will be in his ear and they'll be in that sort of echo chamber or he'll be living free in his own mind here where he's thinking yeah I'm going to get wound up defenders are trying to kick me all the time
0: here We go back to referees having to understand that this is a tactic and having to referee the game uh, as such and you know you don't want people you don't want it to become a non-contact sport I'm not advocating that at all we've got a few who can certainly put a challenge in but uh, I don't think I think I've, you know, it's a tactic that we adopt. I think it's just, you know, when you tackle, you tackle hard. But I do agree, there seems to be a, an emerging pattern of uh, tactical fouling and aggression that I think referees need to be very, very aware of.
2: I, I mean, I think the other thing with Badecki um, with is, yeah, you know, maybe he was also a bit frustrated with his own performance. You know, it wasn't his day, and he's feeling someone getting close to him. You know, he tried to brush him off, and then you know, then he's lashed out. Um, but another day, another ref, that's a red card. Yeah. You can't make a habit of it.
0: Got to learn to turn that tight marking and those little kicks and knocks to his
2: advantage. And I'm sure that's exactly what Conte will be telling him this week. You know, that that's Agreed. what the video analysis is for. They'll go through, you know, as well as looking forward to this weekend's game, they'll be going through this this game and what went wrong. And one of the things they'll be looking at there is uh where teams are getting getting to us, how can how can we work the referee? How can we get the referee you know making decisions our way and turning that that disadvantage into an advantage?
0: I agree. And uh seeing as we're on Brighton and and Cucurello in particular, i just wanted to ask you uh, each what you thought of him. He's he's such a dynamic player and he cost Brighton 19 million on a 5-year contract last season. Probably would cost around 30 million right now. Would he be worth it? I mean, he is such a consistent performer. He always gives us problems and he does have a great dynamism about him, but I mean, is he the sort of player that you'd be you'd be going for in the summer or not? In
2: what position, Steph? Well, yeah,
0: that's a good point. I mean, I'd like to think of him as a wing-back. Um, Uh, even though he's not uh, traditionally playing there with Brighton. But he looks like he's got the engine and brain for it.
2: He's predominantly played at left-back. Obviously, he played at left-centre-back yesterday. He has played left midfield as well. No, I wouldn't go for him. I think he's a good player. I think he had a very good game. He was um, playing in front of me for one and a half yesterday, so I had a good look at him. And, uh, yeah, I, thought he I said really you
0: were the one game. who put in that filthy challenge on Sun in the 70th minute, were you? Sorry, that was a bad joke. Sorry.
2: But no, I don't, I don't think he's what we need or what we should be going for.
0: Mm. No, um, th- nothing to add to that, really.
1: It would be interesting to see if he plays more games as that on the left side of a back three, because as we've discussed previously, there's not many teams who play in that system with a player who has that specific role. So it'd be interesting if he developed there, that he, he could genuinely be someone to put pressure on Ben Davis and potentially be an upgrade in that position. Um, but if he's a left-back in a back four, he's going to be largely redundant. And um, I'm not sure he's going to score you more goals than, than Reggie or Cessin Yonwood going forwards. A different skill set, different sort of player. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd want to see more from him from for me, there would be other players in that Brighton team who really stood yeah. out yesterday.
0: Yeah, and uh, we'll talk about another one, Bissouma. is probably who you're going to bring up, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he really grew into the game. I thought he was Brighton's best player when we beat them in the FA Cup back in February as well. He's impressed over a number of years. Um, has, have there been a couple of things that have gone on um, sort of back home for him? But
2: He's um, awaiting the outcome of an investigation into a sexual assault. Yeah. There's no way we, we should touch him you know, unless he's found found innocent of that.
0: Uh, well, let's go on innocent until proven guilty. Would you take him as a player?
2: I can't consider that because he's he's, he's up on a, a sexual assault charge. So I don't think there's, it's not, I wouldn't even consider it. Okay.
1: I, well, I suppose I, you know, I, I'll caveat my answer saying if there was no call case to be answered, then he would absolutely as a footballer be an upgrade on what we've got at the moment.
0: I, I think quite obviously if he's guilty of a charge of, of that magnitude then you know I don't think anybody wants to be associated with anyone like that as a footballer I mean I've got to say I don't I haven't seen enough of him I'm still not in, I'm still not 100% convinced um but he certainly had a good game yesterday and I just don't know how much a player like that would cost and you know of course he's got experience in the premiership uh, which is I think invaluable I don't know the jury's out but he did have a good game I will say that
2: If we're shopping at Brighton the first one I'd be looking at is Too, I thought he had a very good game yesterday I think you know you put him in our team, team yesterday and I think we win. Given some of the chances that, or given a couple of the chances we
0: had, especially one that was created, you're thinking if it had come in on him on the other side, then yeah, I,
2: I agree with that. Chance creation. I mean, I think from our wing backs, I think we have one cross all game and he would create more down the right-hand side. I think, he's a, I think he's a cracking little player and he'd say 21 years old. I know last year, Last season he had a bad injury record, but he hasn't been injured this season. I think a lot of credit's got to go to Potter for how he's managed his game time to accommodate that. And maybe there's something, there's a lesson there for us with Cessignon. I think he's a really, really good player and is going to get better.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you've answered two concerns, or you've addressed two concerns I would have there. Number one uh, being his injury record, which again he is a, a still a young player, and and obviously given his. Given his physicality, there's probably still a few more uh, physical adjustments going on in his life, and managing his game is interesting because I think with the Conti side, Conti would be wanting to play him as much as possible. I don't know if we could afford to man. Would we be able to manage him?
2: No, I think if we've got two players for the position, I think that's fine. Um, so he had two bad hamstring injuries last season. Uh, the second of which took him into the very beginning of this season. So he came back in September, but he hasn't been injured since.
0: Uh, let's say, you know, he was going for 50 million, which I think Brighton would probably demand something in that in that uh, realm, given the way transfer fees are going. You know, given how you see his productivity, which is, you know, it's hard to argue with it. I mean, he's a very dynamic and effective player. I mean, would you spend that money?
2: You know, they got a great price for Ben White last year, didn't they? And they're not in a position where they need to sell. Um, right. So, you know, with, with good players, they're going to demand upper market rate um and everyone that we contact about a right wing back this summer is gonna know that we're desperate to sign one. Yeah,
0: that's probably the biggest factor, isn't it? They are gonna know because it's it's written on the tin and on the wall. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's probably there's probably better value in Europe, but he's certainly a player that should be on the list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that.
0: Um Okay, Arsenal's loss made this, I mean, it kind of made it a free hit for me. But then I, you know, in the wonderful world of social media that uh, we all have to touch from time to time, I noticed that actually uh, it made some people feel twice as bad. Uh, You know, the glass half full, glass half empty. Where, where, Where are each of you sitting? I'm glass half full with it. I'm like, wow, great. We got away with one. Onwards.
1: Yeah. I think if Arsenal had lost at lunchtime and then we'd have gone and played afterwards and, and lost, it would have felt far worse. It would have felt glass half empty. It's at the point of the season now where performances really don't matter. It's all about results. And each week or match week that goes by where we're still ahead of them. And of course, we've got the goal difference as well. That's, um, you know, that, that, that's a good thing. I don't think anyone's going to remember the sequence of results if we finish above them and particularly if we finish above them by, and finish up in fourth place at the end of the season. So for me, it's very much it's a glass, it's a glass half full. It was up for them to, to, to knock that gap down a little bit and they failed to do so.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I'd be feeling a lot happier if we had six points on them. I wonder whether this is a sign of nerves getting to us and Arsenal as well. I mean, Arsenal have lost three on the bounce now. And whether it's going to be a case of everyone, you know, kind of everyone falling over the line rather than anyone charging to the finish.
0: I tell you what I think it's a case of, as much as anything, I think it is a glaring announcement of how important Doherty had come become to the team. I, I think we really, I mean, it's, again, it's not so much about him as a player more than the position he plays and has played successfully at another club and had learnt to play successfully again for us. I mean, it, I think that it's such a key area for us that we we're, we're having trouble. We're having trouble without him.
2: I'm not sure that's the case actually because I don't think you know he's not a ball carrier. So the supply to him would have been cut off by cutting off the supply to Bentonker. He was in good form, but the last two games he hasn't played on the side, you know, I no, I'm I'm not sure. I I'm, I'm not sure in in the last third if it was him running in at the back post rather than on. Yeah, you for just ball, you know you then, knew then, I was going to say he would have put that. Away. Exactly. But but I'm thinking about in terms of the the shape of the game, the tactics of the game and our, our inability to get the ball forwards. I'm not sure he would have helped us address mm-hmm. that. Uh, in, the final, in, in the final third, he's definitely better than either of the other two.
1: I think that's right. I think if it's a game where we have lots of ball in the final third and we're creating chances to create chances, then we really have missed him. But in a game yesterday where we could just get no foothold on the game in the middle of the pitch and we couldn't build attacks, um, then it was always going to be a problem yesterday
0: with yeah it's interesting because i just feel and again maybe we're back to a little bit of lemons and auras and energies i just feel he's that he's the personal story that he's been through with us in the last few months uh, i think that that energy and strength has definitely been transferred to the pitch and i just feel we lacked anyone with that extra drive that extra like i'm gonna do something and he's seemed to have that
2: but what he would have done is he would have got to the halfway line passed the ball inside and then it would have broken down no, okay. I mean, we, we,
0: yeah. I think you. I mean, you captured the point that I was going to make up, which was ultimately, I think, the chance of the game that I would expect to put away, uh, given. The, the system that Conti plays and given what we train week in week out, you know, we need someone to put that ball away. And he, I mean, if, have C- if
2: so. Cessanion had been there, I would have backed him to put that away. If it had been Sun at the back post, I would have backed him to put that away. If it was Bergwin at the back post, I would have you know, backed him to put that away.
0: No, oh, in fairness, Bergwin had a chance uh, 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 on the penalty spot that he couldn't put away, but I know what you're saying.
2: Reggie has been missing a lot from that position. His confidence must be low times. and yeah. he, he just, he's just, his setup for that was just wrong.
0: Yeah, well, difference makers as they are. We've agreed that uh, we did get a free hit in the end. I think, you know, this is the moment at which we'll just say, you know, uh, our weekly how confident are we feeling about our top four challenge? uh, You guys go first.
2: I wouldn't swap our our remaining fixtures for either Manchester United or Arsenal's.
1: Yeah, I I, I think by default, we're, we're a little bit closer to getting forward than we were this time last week. I think every week that goes by where we're, where, where we're still ahead, that's a good thing as Marlow said because of the fixture run that's coming in. Um, I think what Saturday proves is that when this isn't the finished article yet and I don't think anyone should go and watch Spurs expecting this to be the finished article where they go and steamroll the teams there. There are flaws in the system, there are weaknesses in that starting eleven at the moment and they will be exposed from time to time and we will have weeks where we're just not on it and we don't play particularly well and hopefully that was the one yesterday actually and that might sharpen up some minds and and we'll um we'll win the next couple and i think going into may um with six more points on the on, on the board i don't think arsenal will get six and i don't think you know well united and arsenal can't both get six because they're playing each other before then
0: yeah i i feel that our uh i feel very much the same as you gareth i think by default we're that much closer to fourth place um and i i feel i feel as confident as i did you know the week before, I, I always felt this game was going to be very tough and I was somewhat alarmed that, you know, I thought we'd squeak by. I think most of people thought we'd squeak by, but I didn't think it would be a cakewalk and uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's still looking good, uh, albeit I'm not convinced that, it's not going to be like 2019. I think I said this to both of you before we started recording. It has the feeling of that Champions League qualification where I think there's going to be a lot of stumbling by everyone, but you know, by virtue of the manager, um, in that case, it was a manager who knew how to get us across with the last embers of energy he had. And in this case, with a manager who knows how to get us across, you know, at the start of what we hope is going to be a journey with us, I think we'll make it. But it's, 2019 all over again for me. Uh, closing thoughts: one positive, one negative. Gareth, a positive point. Mm, blinding, Saturday, if you were to kick us off. <laughs> the positive
1: was that Paul Coyt was back at halftime, and he welcomed a 75-year-old supporter who was coming to the ground for the ver- was coming to watch Spurs for the very first time in his life, which was great. Um, the negative therefore, is that that 75-year-old who's waited that long to come and watch Spurs for the first time, went to a game where there wasn't one single moment of excitement or one single moment that generated any sort of applause whatsoever there wasn't a tackle, there wasn't a clever pass, there wasn't a good dribble, a piece of skill or a shot from range that got you off your seat, um, no fault of Hugo's but there wasn't even any good saves that he had to make, it was the most insipid of home performances that you could possibly see, for all the reasons that we've summarized already but i really feel for that poor old so who came for his first time in 75 years and that's what he got to see
0: and has been subsequently banned by everyone for being the uh, unlucky charm that was right yeah.
2: milo um my positive is that by the time we next play everything everything going our way we could be two points clear of manchester united and arsenal with two games in hand on Manchester United and one game in hand on Arsenal. That would be a good place to be. My negative is probably the same one as last week. I think teams have discovered a new way to to neutralise us and that's cutting out the supply to midfield. I don't see... Um, unless Sesnić comes back in the side and really, really rips it up, I don't really see an easy way out of fixing this other than playing long. Um, so it's it could be a bit of a hard slog to us till the end of the season uh, because the solution to this is in the transfer transfer market, not on the training field.
0: My positive was the final whistle at St. Mary's. That was a uh, uh, made it a completely free hit for us, in my opinion, and if, from my perspective, that's how I chose to view it. Uh, you know, I think my negative would be the same as any of us—that it was just such a giant off day that you know to isolate particular incidents seems futile. The whole thing felt flatter than the flattest French pancake you've ever uh, you've ever uh, seen. It was. Really, really insipid, I think, was a word that one of you used. And I think that that was uh, exactly the case. So, you know, there we are. There's not much more to say to it than that. We're now going to have a look at who in the current squad might have the potential to make it as a manager in the future. Um, you know, we'll have a little fun with this chap. So I suppose with yeah, simple question, I mean, I, I put that out there. Who springs to mind?
2: There's your favorite that you, you, you're you desperate to say, isn't there, Steph? So go on, take, take that away and then we can go on to the others. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think Eric Dyer stands uh, shoulders above most candidates in the squad uh, by, by, by the mere fact that he's taller than most of them, actually. I think he's got all the qualities. <laughs> I think he's got all the qualities to be uh, a, a, a really decent manager. I don't know if he's going to be um, top, top draw straight away, but I could see him being an excellent manager in the championship. Great communicator, very smart, bilingual, which I think is extremely helpful if you want to. Bilingual. You know trilingual even exactly he speaks spanish if you want to...
2: portuguese english i don't know whether he's i think he's got some other languages as well i mean his communication his communication skills would be, would be wonderful did you read the romero in yes. the article in the so romero romero talks about him talking to him in spanish and how much big, uh, how much of an impact that had yeah i mean he, he's clearly an intelligent and thoughtful man isn't he and mm. um his experience of coming through the academy system in portugal would probably be quite interesting uh you know and useful and He's also a player who's played a number of different positions, both. Because I think he was a striker when he was a youth player, wasn't he? And then obviously played for us at um, in midfield, defence, and and at fullback. So th- those are all experiences that would be would be really useful to in coaching and and, you know, and management. Yeah, he's clearly bright. His interests outside of sport, I think, you know, show him as kind of well-rounded and you know, thoughtful person. And obviously, he's he's clearly a leader on the pitch and off the pitch as well isn't
0: he he seems a bit like an eddie howe type figure to me with a little bit more to him even potentially gareth what do you think of that
1: uh, so whenever everyone talks about eddie howe i can't think that he's the sort of bloke who turns up at a barbecue where he's the wife of is the, the one of your wife's friends husbands who comes in and just loiters by you to talk to you about his new lawnmower or something really banal <laughs> Not like that. So I, I don't know if Eddie Howe is as a, as, as a character. Sorry, that's been sitting in my mind for ages. That's the sort of character Eddie Howe is. i
0: Looked for an excuse to shoehorn that which you've just given me um that yeah. was for all listeners uh a little insight into gareth's personal prejudices against ex-pros who have become managers in the in the world of football and uh there we are eddie Howe will not be invited to your barbecue right <laughs> uh, no it's also, it's also yeah it's also about prejudice in mind of
1: uh, boring people who come and talk to you about their lawnmowers I've, I've, I've tried to do a bit of a 360 on on this so you look at a lot of managers the the obvious things that we, we're drawn to and of course we only see maybe 10 percent of characters of mm. of people and then we try and apply what we think are traditional management skills so i think you look at people who come across as leaders who are probably your captains and leaders from a tangible perspective is people who, who you know who point and shout a lot so probably pierre emil hoybier could, could just develop some of those characters. I think the other thing that you often fall into is looking at players who are intelligent players on the pitch, who you assume will therefore become really intelligent analysts. And sometimes I think they're better off on the television. So if I think someone like Danny Murphy, who you looked at him as a player, and you thought this is the sort of bloke who's really destined to become a manager because he seems to read the game and understand the game so well. He's a very good analyst, but he's never really uh, taken any interest in becoming becoming a manager. But the other thing that's interesting, I, I think, often you find that there is a manager who's in place and suddenly they develop lots of disciples who who follow them so we know that Pochettino and and Pep were real disciples of Bielsa for instance and I think that we're in a phase now where we've had um, in in Poch and, and, and Conte we've got two fabulous managers who have got perhaps some really really interesting leadership skills that i think um emotionally intelligent players will learn from they won't just learn about how they develop a tactical plan or they put a training plan together they'll also think about the way that they interact with players so if you look at some of those mainstream mainstays between the pot and the Conte era you've got in addition to die you've got ben davis who i think is a very intelligent and he's a well-rounded um individual and then you've got hugo as well who also excused those those more obvious and tangible leadership qualities which you've seen by the fact he's been captain of spurs and of france as well
0: so very interesting to cut you off there and bring milo into this as well for a moment i mean i don't know about you milo i could see uh, i could see ben davis um uh having decide uh, you know having disciples in in 20 years time he's got that or about him, don't you think? Whereas Hugo looks like he could be a little anxious. Sometimes Hugo looks a little bit like rabbit in the headlights, whereas Ben Ben Davis always looks very, very strong and very... Uh, he's Gentle very ben. sort of... Uh,
2: what's that? Gentle Ben.
0: Gentle Ben with a steely face and never gives much away and never says much, does he? I don't know. He's got a, got a presence about him, hasn't he?
2: Again, I mean, we're going to have to get on to The Athletic about sponsorship because I'm going to mention them again and, and the interview with uh, Ben Davis that they did last year where he's talking about
0: yeah it's cracking um yeah.
2: the the degree he would got and i think he spoke a bit in there about he'd been reading um soccer economics and he and uh, he was talking about uh use of data in in football and uh, you know data analysis and what have you so he's clearly got an interest in that which again i think i mean, maybe he's just tickling my my g-spot but um yeah. <laughs> sorry it's there's, there's the a pod headline
0: there. There's the pod headline, tickling my G-spot. <laughs> I, I,
2: I think bodes well. Again, it's someone who's thinking about the game beyond just kind of uh, hoof it and uh, man on. I think he definitely could be. I think you're a little unfair on, on Hugo there. Um, again, you know, very, very experienced player. Again, clearly a leader. He's the, he's the player that we send out after a bad result to talk about it. If you think about his reaction to some fair really really poor performances. Maybe the the crockery wouldn't be safe with him around.
0: Ooh, really, you think you think there's a little bit of a? a well, think an, back an a bit. It says
2: clash with Sunny. The exit from.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
2: Zagreb. Right. yeah. Zagreb, yeah, where he really ripped into the team.
0: So maybe what I misread sometimes as his nerves are just a, a build-up of extreme anger that we don't actually so, see. You know,
2: it's clearly, it's clearly been visible several times, hasn't it? I mean, I think one yeah. of the things we've got to bear in mind as well is in terms of what type of manager you are. So, um, you know, we're talking about kind of intelligence and stuff like that. But you don't necessarily need that to be a manager if you've got people around you who can compensate for your weaknesses. So you know, if we talk about say Stephen Gerrard for instance, who obviously was a you know a captain and you know clearly a leader leader as a player. But my understanding is at Villa he's not, and same at Rangers he's not doing the tactical side of the game. Um, he's leaving that to his coaches, and and he's there as you know as a as a leader and a, you know kind of figurehead and and uh, doing that. You know, even if you think about say Ferguson for instance, Ferguson delegated a lot of the kind of team preparation to his coaches and he was quite distant from his team during the week and you know they only really had one-to-one contact with him on on match days but what he was great at is he was great at reading players he was great at leading you know inspiring people and he was very good at knowing when it was when to let people go he was the best man manager i've ever seen In the game,
0: he understood how to man manage a squad of big names and big characters, and that included getting rid of them if they stood, if they if they went over Mm. his line, which was incredible. He was, oh, you're absolutely right, but I think that's also what makes a brilliant manager is someone who knows what they can't do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know, I'm going to have great coaches with me because I'm not good at this, but I'm fucking brilliant at that. Yeah. Um, Mm. So,
2: so I think when we're talking about people, you know, players here. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, you know, with Hugo, you you might start saying you know, you know how many decent goal yeah you know, how many goalkeepers go on to be decent managers and there's you know there's a handful, but not not too many. But you know if he's aware of his deficiencies and he's got the right people around him and he can inspire people, which he clearly can from you know the, you know, the sides he's captained and the success that he's certainly enjoyed at international level, then you know maybe maybe he could do that. That's yeah. a
0: compelling argument. I'm sold actually. Yeah, I, I I think it's a compelling argument.
2: I know that yeah. I know the question is for current players, but I would like to just squeeze in Jan Vertonghen here as a potential. Um, I know that Poch said that he was a very challenging player to coach because he he'd be quite argumentative on and training and, and and wanted to understand why he wanted to do things certain ways and and try and understand you know what he was trying to achieve and was challenging Potch about what he was doing which again I think is probably evidence of someone who thinks beyond kind of the day to day and try trying to understand the mechanics mm. of the game or trying to understand what his coaches are trying to achieve
1: yeah i think i think there's there's different things that you want when we're talking about players current players going in and you know managing or coaching well there's the traditional manager there's there's also the coaches as well so I could imagine someone like Jan Vertonghen going in and working at Ajax maybe with their under 21s or with their under 16s which from a coaching perspective is is a really highly sought after role perhaps more so than you know going and managing Stevenage um, as Teddy Sheringham has done you know ironically the other ones who I wonder Danny Rose I wonder whether he Mm. has some of those qualities, mm. whether he would be the front man or not, or whether he would just be a very, very good person to have in and around a, a, a squad. I'm also wondering, with you know, particularly with Hugo and perhaps with the Tongan as well, Musa Dembele was another name that I've written down as well. I wonder whether someone like that might go into the sort of the technical director mm. role. Where, you know, know, Ben Davis in that one as well, where they've got a bit of a vision for where they think the team should go and they want to drive that vision. But they're maybe not the, 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 you know, the number one to be on the touchline and to be leading team decisions and, and coaching and running the team
0: on a day to day basis. I think Benton Court would fit that role superbly he's got a bit of that about him to me I, th-
2: I think um, yeah Davis as yeah, a director of football or something like that is quite a good shout actually and again if you look at his interests outside of the game and you know his academic studies that might lend towards that I think Danny Rose you know if you look at some of the comments when he left in the summer and the impact he'd had on the youth sides last season when he'd been kind of ostracised from the first team it really speaks to that and he, he clearly has a connection with, with young players and you know he's still turning up to some of our youth games this season when he was at Watford I think that's I think it's likely that he'll be back with us and coaching in the youth setup relatively soon, I would have thought. Um yeah. he 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 clearly seems interested in that.
1: Yeah. So I, I just wanted to say just to make sure that my um my research doesn't go to waste here. As far as I can work out, there currently in the Football League there are four ex Spurs players who are managing a team in the football league, so from the Premier League down to League Two at the moment. Um, who and I am just wonder if I say these names, you flash back to your thoughts of them as a player. Did you ever envisage them becoming managers?
0: So Johnny Jackson. Well, so, well is... hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's set it up as let's set it up. Let's set it up. I like that. Let's set it up. Milo, you and I have to each go yes or no afterwards. <laughs> would we? And 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 the, and the question is for each of the names that Gareth's going to read out, would we have envisaged this man in the dugout as the manager of a football club in? professional football. Gareth.
1: Okay, so we've got Johnny Jackson, current manager of Charlton Athletic.
2: Nope. No. I don't know what he's doing to John down there.
1: Um Scott Parker, currently at Bournemouth, probably about to get them promoted and it'd be the second time that he's got a team promoted from the Championship into the Premier League.
0: 100% yes with a designer sheepskin sort of nodding its way towards the yes. current but with a good draft of the past as well but yes
2: yes yeah, yeah. He, he was he was highly regarded when he was with the youth set up with us as well wasn't he yeah he
1: was yeah now this is going to be a bit, get, a, get a bit harder now the current manager of AFC Wimbledon is Mark Bowen <laughs> who had a fleeting appearance with us having come through our academy system in the 80s um, but has followed Mark Hughes around as his assistant, but is currently the number one at Wimbledon.
0: Absolutely resonated with me as full managerial material from the brief moments that he played at our football club and was a shoe in from the start. Yes.
2: Just disappointed he hasn't won the Champions League yet, really. It was just so obvious, wasn't it?
0: It was, and I I, I think we've had this discussion many, many times when we've talked about this off-pod. Why, why hasn't Mark Bowen had the chance to win that Champions League? Because it was so obvious that that's his destiny. I agree. Yeah. I think
2: he's a bit like Sam Allardyce. If uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona <laughs> had the courage to appoint him, then uh, the trophies yeah. would be a shoo-in. Yeah,
0: there so, we are. Yeah. And so, so that's a message to Real Madrid. If you've got a pair of balls in the summer and Ancelotti doesn't snap around, take our tip. We've been trying to tip people for years.
1: Not Bowen, Jim. Okay, next one now. Blink if you miss this one. Stephen Robinson, who is the current manager of Morecambe, and he played for us twice. Under Aussie, our dealers.
0: I'd be wise if I said that Morecambe was always going to be a manager in my eyes, wouldn't I? But I can't. I can only make cheap puns and say that you've got me there, Gareth. No, absolutely not.
1: Um, and, and then the fifth one. I mean, hang
0: on, even... hang on. You have to give Milo a chance. He might have had this one in his back pocket all along.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to be honest, I'd forgotten he even existed.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's the honest answer that I should have given. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Sorry, mate. We don't mean that personally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and then the fifth one and he didn't actually play for us but he was with our academy and then he coached with our academy before going on to Manchester United and being Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's first um, team coach and that's Kieran McKenna who's cutting his teeth at Ipswich Town at the moment and till they lost yesterday they had a pretty good start to things
0: I'm just going to hold my hands in the air and claim complete ignorance again uh, no I would never have seen it because honestly I, I'm Going to have to say that I I don't really remember Kieran McKenna in our setup, so no, not at all. These are yeah. this is this is deep diving, isn't it, mate? You've done it well here. Deep diving. So, I,
1: mean, I, I it's a point to mention as well. God rest his soul, Justin Edinburgh, who had just got Leighton Orient promoted yeah. and would quite possibly still be in the dugout for them. Uh, he's managed over two hundred games in the football league. Um, otherwise, Colin Calderwood over one hundred and twenty managerial appearances in the football league for a couple of teams. Yeah, that makes had to me. Had the they Most, both did, yeah. Poirier, um, our old friend Tim Sherwood. Um, well, hang on. John... Let's
0: let's 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 stop on Poyet for a minute because he has a fascinating. Uh, uh, he's got a little bit of a fascinating run with us, of course, in the. You know, in terms of how he worked with one day Ramos and there was all the talk that he was possibly one of the people who didn't help uh, one day's progression with our club and so on and so forth. Uh, did we feel that he was, uh, did we feel he was up to the task? Did we feel he would be up to the task, Milo?
2: No idea, really. I'm always a bit suspicious when a kind of ex-player is brought in as an assistant to a to a new coach. It, it feels like just trying to butter up the um, the fans. Hmm. And I think there were a lot of a lot of rumours with uh, with Ramos that he was there to translate as much as anything.
1: I mean, I do think if we were having this conversation twenty years ago, when he'd been with us maybe eighteen months, yeah. and we were looking through the squad at that point, you'd you'd probably look at him. You'd look at Teddy Sheringham, who did manage at Stevenage for a while as well. And you'd possibly look at Les Ferdinand, who was one of the elder statesmen, who's gone on to do some. Well, is he an executive director at QPR now? But
0: yeah, yeah I would never. I, I've got to disagree with you. I'd never have looked at Les Ferdinand as a, as a top manager, never, or even a manager. It was never in my books. But I appreciate your sentiment. i i've not, not for me though. No.
2: Getting us back to the current side, and I'm surprised we managed to go this long without mentioning. But I think his experience of playing up through the leagues, Matt D- uh, Doherty, would have something to offer. You know, many clubs, you know, and certainly, you know, young players, the determination to play your way through the leagues like that, I, I don't think you can overlook. Well, first of all, I, I, look,
0: I can't be seen as, you know, someone who mentions him every single week in a positive light. So thank you for bringing his name up. And, and I, I completely agree 100% without wishing to add to any reputation I might have as a sycophant. Of his, I I completely agree. I think oh I think it's it's a great point.
2: I, I don't know at what level, I don't know where, but I think that no. kind of experience would be really useful.
0: He's got a bit of the. You think of Justin Edinburgh that you were mentioning there, Gareth. I mean, maybe he would come in and be very successful in that sort of uh, at that sort of club and in that sort of role. Mm. And as you say, Milo, he's got great experience across all the divisions and uh, and obviously a high degree of fortitude and resilience. So I think that's a great shout.
2: But we are missing the most obvious one, which is the Sun senior and the son junior. <laughs> managerial partnership <laughs> the steel fist in the velvet glove <laughs> oh my it's... word
0: can you imagine training sessions with the pair of them god what would what would sun senior be first team coach fitness uh, coordinator what would what would his role be
2: intimidating players into doing what they were told to do
0: yeah he could be the ib a new role in modern coaching ib intimidating bastard the newest and most important role in the coaching team, the IB every, every club needs one, right?
2: I think normally what happens is the manager is meant to scare you, isn't it? And it's the coaches who are there to be close to the players. If we're talking about ex players as managers, in this set setup we've got Sonny as the as the manager and then just one tough, scary bastard as the coach.
0: no I, I like this. I think we're developing a whole new strategy in the modern coaching setup because as you say, you'd have Sonny sort of looking standing in front of the new iB director um saying kind of mouthing to the players don't do what i'm telling you to this guy's gonna fuck you up like <laughs> and then uh, the ib behind just staring as if to amplify the uh, the power of that sentiment i think it was a very interesting thought
2: Maybe what you could do is the, the old Glen Hoddle thing about spending the first—he could spend the first half of the game up in the stands, and then if the performance was bad, you bring him down onto the touchline for the second half and just scare the shit. To hand out the out oranges.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine with forty minutes gone in the first half, and you're like, "Hey, he's going to come down and give do the up oranges." Off his if, seat <laughs> and suddenly. <laughs> I think I think it's a, it's a, it could be a very important thing. You never know the power the power of personality and all. It could uh, be. Imagine if he'd have come down to hand the oranges out at halftime yesterday.
2: Would he have, Would he have changed the result yesterday? It's it, it's. You know. I must admit, it's not a management style that I'm particularly fond of. But. <laughs> the
0: ib wow that's good gareth you've been surprisingly quiet about this it's either you, you either completely agree or you think we've lost it somewhere in the middle of those two actually uh,
1: just wonder <laughs> whether, um, whether 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 sun senior is a man for 2022 and to to get through to whatever the generation is that we're labeling um as now whether they would respond to that or or not you're,
2: but... you're seeing him as a bit of a Mourinho, are you where that kind of uh, that kind of approach to management doesn't quite work with the with the younger <laughs> generation.
1: Yeah, theory
0: X and theory Y. Uh, uh, the anti-man manager, I think, would be how we would best refer to him. Right, He would be the anti-man manager for, to yeah. deploy. I will say though, I mean, Sonny, Sonny, uh, Sonny would be an interesting choice. I mean, seriously, and I know we're rounding winding down the conversation. He has all the attributes. Uh, to be a really top level coach again. I mean, he's he's worked in, in in two different leagues. He obviously has uh, he's obviously trilingual. Um, you know, great experience. I mean, I don't think anyone in professional football, hardly anyone that I can think of has ever played in a game as big as he has and that is of course the one that uh, saved his career and uh, helped him avoid national service um, that, that's just such a massive game nobody can quantify what it is to play with that pressure so it's actually a really good shout I think I mean I know that we started it for a little you know, a little bit of light discussion but Sonny as a manager is not a bad shout at all and I could really see it working
2: I'd imagine he can make a lot more money as a media personality in South Korea after he retires and it's less hassle
0: but do you think that he would be motivated by that I mean he seems to love football so much
2: but he's still got his academy know. hasn't he to say him, him his brother and his dad own an academy in South, uh, South Korea so he could still get involved in that kind of thing he could oh, just... well, okay. I know or oh, maybe but a technical. But... I could see him being the South Korean Gary Lineker that's probably a fair shout and of
0: course as we bring this to a close I think it's interesting to note the player we have not mentioned and has not even been thought of no one's mentioned Harry I mean Harry Kane not Harry Winks uh, although Harry Winks actually could I think be a Winks good is shout a better shout actually, actually. <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. All right. Very good. Well, we've come up with, so uh, for those who are trying to keep a tally, um, I think that the clear winners from uh, the current squad uh, for future management in the world of football, according to the game is about glory would be in no real order would be Eric Dyer, Hugo Lloris and Ben Davies. Those are our, uh, our three top nominees with an honorable mention for Pierre Miohoi somewhere in there. I think it's fair to say, and Matthew Doherty. Okay. Uh, Next Saturday, we travel to West London to play Brentford in the tea time kickoff, where we will be facing the world's favourite footballer and someone who was one of our favourite players for many years, Christian Eriksen. With optimistically driven rumours starting to circle that he could be making a return to ours this summer. Um, Again, I think who we who should we play in terms of the the side? I just think it's set for the season. Let's just go to a very simple.
2: Nope. Nope. Cecily I should start ahead of uh Reguil, definitely, if he's fit. I like it. I like it. I like that. Yeah, Gareth.
1: Yeah, I would I would be in favour of that happening. Um I'm expecting that Skippy isn't going to be back next week, but he'd be the obvious variable that you could you, you could make. But otherwise, yeah, the team that we know what the shape's gonna be.
0: Yeah, but that's a good shout though. You're right. So I should have asked that question. I didn't. Good correction. Are we confident? That's a question we'll be asking for the rest of the season, without <laughs> doubt. <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, I, th- I think Brentford have won three games in a row now. I think by law of averages, they're probably due not to win one. I, th- I think, I mean, Milo made the point earlier that Brentford, uh, perhaps there are similarities with Brighton that they're a very well coached team. I think the difference between Brentford and Brighton, though, is that Brentford have two out-and-out centre-forwards in Tony and um, Mbremo. So I think that they, they would be unable to adopt the same system Brighton did, which was effectively to put seven players in midfield. So therefore, that I, don't, I appreciate here, I'm almost reading this for from Milo's WhatsApp message yesterday. So I may be taking this off his tongue here, um, but I suspect that Brighton won't be able to occupy the sorry Brentford won't be able to occupy the same spaces that Brighton did to such good effect against us yesterday, and we might find that some of the spaces we want to play in are available
2: to us. Yeah, I'm a little less confident than i was a week ago just cuz i could see a bit of a pattern emerging um but i mean yeah if we want to finish fourth we've got to put these teams away and we've got the easier week than our main rivals and we can't we can't not you know not take advantage of that again
0: yeah i'm more confident than i was about this weekend actually i don't think um i think brentford are, look i think brentford have had a brilliant season and i think their manager is is a really you know, he's a good manager and he's done great work but i just do not think they are going to be at the level of uh, Potter in terms of executing the sort of game plan that can really frustrate us. And I've got to say, I'll extend this further. I do. Th- I think we're going to beat Brentford next week. Um, But I don't really think there's a side, now that Sean Dyke has been sacked, uh, that is going to be able to employ the tactics that uh, Brighton did against us this week, successfully for 95 minutes for the rest of the season. I really don't. And I include Arsenal in that. I just don't think that side exists. So I'm not quite as concerned about that uh, as, as everyone else um, that's an aside yeah I, I think we'll get past Brentford I don't think it'll be comfortable I don't think we're going to have a comfortable game before the end of the season I really don't but uh, I think we'll get by them I really do so that's my prediction <laughs> thank you very much chaps cheers Steph cheers Steph you can find us on Twitter and Instagram so give us a follow and say hello if you like this podcast please remember to subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice and don't forget to tell your friends about us We'll tell your friends about you if you don't. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.